passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Welcome to Rewind a Dynamite. John Pollock, Wei Ting here. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing uh, astounding. Astounding? Oh, didn't expect that. All right. Well, that's great. Good to hear. Can't do better than that. Yes. How was your day? It was good, actually. Um, I spent the last evening in a in a small town north of uh, Toronto called Tobermory. And where I just had a, you know, a bit of an overnight stay in a lodge. And so I just came back really just in time for dynamite. So I haven't even washed the lake water off of my body yet. It's, I'm still, you know, right from the lake to, to, to AEW. Okay. Well, welcome back to the city. We missed you. How, how you. far away? How far was this? Like driving? Ooh, it was like a four hour drive, man. Oh, that far. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. But it was fun. That's like, good. It's really... always fun to get away from the city and realize, wow, there's a whole different world here within the province of Ontario. There's so many great places to go. Yeah, like, you know, being in Toronto, we get such a bad reputation for having, like, a terrible beach, terrible water, like, polluted, <laughs> just... All, all fair get, critiques. Don't get in, the, in, in Lake Ontario, everybody, if you're ever uh, in, in Toronto. But uh, you drive a few hours away, it's, like, it's incredible, like the the nature, the scenery is incredible. Like the water is clean, so I highly recommend it. Well, I will. Uh, I will do that. I will leave Toronto next week. You will. Yes, that's right. I believe you have something scheduled as well. So uh, I look forward to some of your travel stories, John. That's about just as far. So uh, yeah, I will report back. But we have dynamite to discuss tonight. We have many things. On the agenda for tonight's show. The go-home edition of Dynamite for Rampage on Friday. That is pretty much it. Although, I I mean, you know, you got some match announcements, but um, no mention of the main event. To us, at least. To most people. They, they mentioned Daniel Garcia. <laughs> Plenty. 
Sure, sure. I, was I, that I, was that surprising to you? Did you think that there would be something overt, a, a wink and a nod? Because uh, really, we got nothing. I thought at the very least you would have Darby, you know, or at least something akin to Darby saying "best in the world." You got nothing, so they are really relying on the hardcores to, you know, like. Just... Hey, and Ke- Kenny Kenny Omega's T-shirt designs. That's what they're relying on. I, I guess so. Yeah, super subtle. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's it's two different things. I think that you can look at it in the sense that, okay, this subtle tease sold all these tickets, but you're not talking about a live event anymore. You're talking about a television event on Friday night on a difficult night to begin with. And will there be anything over the next uh, 24, 36 hours that are going to be more of a hard push? Like there, we are in uh, an environment where this entire audience listening knows what to expect and what to anticipate on Friday, but to hit your maximum audience, does it require a bit more of that, promotion and that's it will be interesting if they do anything over the next uh, day or so going into friday night or if they're just going to leave it to tune in and we're gonna have faith that this buzz is going to travel throughout the next uh, two days you know if there's going to be anything you would expect it to be on you know the most watched show attached to the, to the brand two weeks yes. two days out but um again you know everybody watching dynamite already probably knows what's going to happen on fridays um you know, maybe maybe it's it's a different type of promotion if the idea is to try to get those hardcores or at least get those non-hardcore fans to 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 sample AEW Rampage. I don't know if everyone's expecting this way because on my timeline, not to say this is the majority, it's definitely the minority, but man, there are folks that are just not convinced that this guy's showing up until they see him. With their own eyes. It's like there is an audience that has been... Ra- their fandom has been nurtured through disappointment and swerves. That they, they will not buy into this. It's just amazing. Well, uh, there's a possibility, I suppose. Um, I would say no way. There is absolutely no possibility. I mean, you know, the guy could get caught in uh, in foot traffic. Like, he could, might not they be... They will helicopter him into that <laughs> arena. They will They will make sure that guy is there... Like yeah. literally, unless you want to kill Chicago, this man will be there on Friday. I I think it's I'm pretty it's pretty safe to say he probably will be. But you know what? Like, listen, let the let let the the doubters have their fun. You know, they want to be surprised, and they're going to have a hell of a reaction on Friday. Yeah, to to the audience that wants it to be a big swerve, and MJF just comes out to his music, and that's the payoff. Well, find out on Friday. Yeah, that what what an awesome idea that would be to not. To not deliver the guy, but hey, it's the more, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but as we go deeper and deeper and you're seeing like AEW really solidify itself to the North American audience, it's as much of a battle for them, I think, to like, there is a huge amount of people that they have gone the last 20 years and they have their way of how WWE wrestling works and have talked about wanting an alternative, but when you are seeing people doing pro wrestling differently, it's somehow seen as not right or different and totally messing with the thinking of just logic for one. You're saying that in, in this case of, in their promotion of CM Punk, people are feeling any, anyone who is looking at Friday and thinking it could be a swerve and he's not showing up tells me like you are totally 
in this mindset of just illogical booking that would be absolutely detrimental. Like that is an insane idea to even ponder. No, I certainly don't. <laughs> yeah. I think doing the right thing is, you know, exactly what they're doing right now. I, I, to me, like what you can definitely question, uh, you know, as maybe ineffective or unconventional is them not hitting hard enough the fact that punk will be there on friday oh yeah that to me is we're, we're talking is, about different things now i'm talking about people that would would actually entertain the idea of not delivering on, on friday right. like that's just crazy talk yes you can certainly talk about how far like you've you've sold this to an audience you are gonna have a full, full building there but you want to maximize this audience on friday night and make this an event on television for for friday yeah, yeah. So, I mean, on the one hand, what they're doing is, I think, completely logical and completely traditional. But there are some elements of it that I feel are are certainly different and questionable. But you know what? Things have really worked out for this company uh, in, you know, over the course of its existence. And certain gambles have really paid off, including on a much smaller scale tonight with this entire audience singing Judas, which surprised the hell out of me. They actually got it going. I'm, I'm not. I'm I was impressed that they pulled it off as well as they did. But I mean, AEW pushed this hard throughout the week on social media. Like they were, they were shoving the audience in this direction and it paid off. It was a cool moment. I thought for sure when Jericho walked out and the crowd started going, I thought TSN would be going to commercial. <laughs> yeah. That's a win on their part. They stayed with it. I thought for <laughs> sure. It's like, this will be the ultimate TSN cutaway moment, but they did do it. Uh, let's just quickly talk about uh, what is coming up. Uh, or let's go backwards first because we have... The second edition of Talk, Pollock and Way, with a cameo by Pauline on the show. The behind the scenes of the wedding. What a yeah. fun chat that was. Yes, yes. My new, uh, brand new um, partner, officially now, uh, joined us on Talk. It was, uh, she, she was, is the very first official guest on Talk. And you know what? A very significant week for me in my life. And who better than to uh, bring on than, than her to talk about some of those stresses of wedding planning during a pandemic but perhaps uh you know more of most interest to the audience listening to this is a behind the scenes look at how john pollock puts together one of these pros profiles and for me a real insight into how much i have revealed of myself on the internet throughout my <laughs> 20 years of being online because this was certainly a wake-up call everybody there's a lot of shit about me on the internet and there's probably a lot of shit about all of you too that's on the internet and if if there's a john pollock in your life who decides to one day create an audio documentary about you um you know what you can only be so lucky because uh i was i i loved the documentary of course and maybe i even liked hearing how you put it together just as much well it was uh it was fun to uh share with you all of my tricks and Probably the last time I will ever do this for, for, for somebody in my life, for, for somebody close uh, to me. Well, it's an honor, honestly. With all due respect to uh, Ziggy. Um, let's uh, also chat about this week. So Thursday, Way is going to be back with the, the inimitable WH Park for... A, not just WH Park. Uh, oh, I have not multiples. seen multiples. I have not, not seen this week's episode of What If Yet, but uh, I believe it features... One Chad, Chadwick Boseman. It does. And with his voice. Like, this would have been one of the last things that he did. This was, um, yeah, we've got the voice of Chadwick Boseman on this week. Did you watch episode. it already, John? No, but I, I I, had a live edition of MCU later this morning over coffee. So 
I'm up to speed. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, Nate Milton himself, you know, a few weeks ago requested that when Chadwick Boseman comes on What If, he wants to join us on MCU later. And so that is what is going to happen tomorrow night, everybody. Nate Milton, the Godfather, returns to MCU later to talk about What If. Wow. So we've got Way and Park plus Nate. Doesn't work as well. No, it doesn't. But yeah, double, uh, I look forward double to dose that. of Nate this week. You you can never get enough of uh, Nate Milton. So look forward to that on Thursday for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Friday, we are live 1115 Eastern because we will be coming at you right after the big edition. Smackdown from Phoenix, Arizona on the eve of SummerSlam as they <laughs> perform the, the final waltz before the big show at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. We will be talking about Reigns and Cena. They've done the contract signing. They've done the face-to-face. What do we have left? What can they do? Jeez, um, I don't know, man. Usos and Dominic and Rey Mysterio, that's going to be huge. You know, it's they don't even have to talk about that. I think we all know, us hardcores, you know, know what to expect there. And, of course, the first dance to follow it and... To get ahead of everyone, because I've already been asked this throughout the week, I'm going to repeat it multiple times, I think, over the next 48 hours. If you're in Canada, AEW will be airing live at 10 Eastern on TSN Direct and through their website, and then on a one-hour delay on TSN 2 at 11 Eastern. So we will be live right after the live version of Rampage. So look forward to that. Set your PVRs if you're going to record it on TV for 11 o'clock, okay? If you're going to watch it live on the internet, then you can um, watch it at 10 o'clock. Please don't complain afterwards and say, Spoiler! John John Paul didn't tell me to record at 11 o'clock. He didn't set my PVR for me. Get lost. That's going to be my my response. Get lost. And then Saturday night, Way is leaving us. He is gone again. So it will be maybe the one and only edition. Of John and Kate plus Nate. It is the SummerSlam post show. Kate from Montreal. Nate from Virginia. John Pollock representing Canada. We will be live right after SummerSlam to break down the entire event. Take your calls. We will be live for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. The rest out there will get the show late Saturday night whenever Way gets home. And then Sunday, it's NXT TakeOver 36. A very have you looked at the NXT takeover logo? No, I, I to be quite honest, I haven't been paying as much attention to NXT lately. So so tell me about the NXT takeover logo. It's very bad because you look at it and it looks like it says thirty five, but it's thirty six. You it drives are, me nuts. You are absolutely I've gone right. to write it thirty five so many <laughs> times because of that logo and I have to remind myself it's a six and not a five, but it looks so much like a five. It is a terrible uh, It's a terrible concept. logo. Of a bad graphic design unintentionally, you know, like WWE usually kills it with with their graphic design, but this is really an unfortunate case of uh, numbers and fonts not quite working out their way. Hmm, interesting. Just a mess. So there you go. Lots of stuff. And Braden and Davey will go live after takeover. Twitch.tv slash Up Next Podcast. We have you covered for everything on the site, podcast wise. Post Wrestling Cafe, postwrestling.com. Your home. Yeah, and let's not forget about up next summer happening this weekend as well. I can't, I can't uh, overstate the uh, the big event of the weekend. They're doing a tailgate on Saturday, and then Sunday at four p.m. Eastern time. It is up next summer with some of the best graphics in the game, courtesy of Dickie Bird, and we've mm-hmm. got Braden Harrington defending. 
his up next championship against Fire Frank. But in a case where the undercard might overshadow the main event, it is the rap battle between John Ceno and Davey Portman. <laughs> One man name, right? with a Wu-Tang tattoo on his back, but Davey Portman with a Davey fucking Portman tattoo all over my body. Wow. Okay. Uh, Way is not up to date on these promos yet, I can tell. I'm not, unfortunately. But that, to me, it, it sells itself. I've already got my ticket. You know, they don't even have to mention it. I'm already there. Um, the people's main event, dare I say it. Twitch.tv slash podcast. And you know what? Uh, just on, on the note of uh, John Ceno, he and B Detroit are doing a weekly Heels podcast. Heels on Stars. Some of you guys have asked, hey, are you going to watch Heels? Are you going to be talking about it? John, John, are you watching Heels? No. I haven't seen the episode. I, I have not either. Um, I, I don't even know if I'll have enough time to fit in my schedule. But somebody who has plenty of time to fit everything in his schedule seemingly is John Ceno. <laughs> He again. He and B Detroit are doing a weekly review of it, and that's available, I believe, every Monday on the Up Next feed for free. So subscribe to Up Next. All right, postwrestling.com. You can get all of our information, news, schedule, all that great stuff. Let's move on over to the news and in an update on Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. PWInsider.com's Mike Johnson reported on Wednesday that the two are cleared to perform. And both are expected to be at SmackDown and then the match on Saturday. So that appears to be uh, the latest on them. So it looks like the match is going ahead uh, after they missed the house shows uh, last Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Ratings notes. Raw did 1,857,000 viewers, 713,000 in the 18 to 49 demo. Those are their best numbers since July 19th, which was the first night back with fans coming off Money in the Bank. And then NXT on Tuesday night did 654,000 viewers, down from 751 last week, and they were down 44,000 viewers in 18 to 49. Uh, more, more in line with the range they were around before those sci-fi shows last week was a pretty good number for NXT. So somewhat coming back down to earth for this go home episode. I know you haven't had a chance to see it way, but NXT was highlighted by what, what kind of segment do you think they would present on the final show before SummerSlam? What would be completing the trifecta from SmackDown raw and NXT? A wedding. What else? That's going to be in a few weeks, it looks like, because uh, that's what we're going to get with Dexter Loomis and Indy Hartwell, because after Dexter Loomis lost the love her or leave her match, that precipitated date one, and now they're engaged after week two. So the wedding could be week three for all we know. Listen, relationships move fast these days. You know, these people. They do. Yeah, like who knows how much, how much, how much opportunity? Who knows how long either of them are going to be sticking around NXT? You, you want to pop the question? You got to take some risks. You got to do it now. Yeah, maybe you should have gone this fast. You wouldn't have had to worry about the pandemic. You should have just proposed and done it the next week. You know, if we were developmental NXT wrestlers, yes, I probably would have. So the show is headlined by the two members of the main event at Takeover. One showing up with their face, the other appearing with a face, and they faced each other, face to face. And then they brawled fist to fist, and then they crashed barricade through barricade, and then they were pulled off by security to end the show. It tends to be how uh, face to faces 
have been going these days, but I uh, did this feel like a I mean the WWEification, the main rosterification of NXT, do you feel like that's been continuing with this episode? Um not so much. Like I think this takeover card looks very good on on Sunday. I think like they've got a very strong lineup. Uh, we had Ilya Dragunov on this show. He actually replaced Kushida, who got pulled at the last minute because he was not medically cleared. So we got a great match between Roderick Strong and Ilya Dragunov. But when you look at the, uh, that match with Walter uh, Cross and Joe, I'm I'm sure the match will be fine. But I'm much more interested in how they book this match and how it goes off. Like it's a very Intriguing match when you look at that. They showed a prime target for Adam Cole and Kyle Ry- Kyle O'Reilly. That's going to be a huge part of the show on Sunday. And then they're doing a rematch with LA Knight and Cameron Grimes for the latest time. So overall, I would say like NXT, I think that I think they're going to have a very hot show on Sunday. And beginning next week, I mean, if there is a next evolution, next chapter of NXT, maybe we're going to get a sense of it during this next cycle once they get through this whole takeover build that they've been uh, promoting for weeks and peaking with all of these different programs. And one of the biggest questions is going to be Adam Cole and what is next for him. Certainly. Yeah. The, the, the booking of this show, I think will be really telling perhaps, uh, but you know, we can always count on the wrestling to be really strong on these shows, no matter what the TV might be like. That certainly goes for the main roster and that doubly goes for NXT. And mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's not really been a promotion that's been receiving very good press lately. This is their chance to turn that ship around and get people coming out of the show talking about what a what a must-see show it was. Uh, what else do we have here? So New Japan announced that Shingo Takagi and Bushi, who were pulled from Sunday show in Chizuoka, their tests came back positive for COVID-19. They stated that their fevers have gone down and their conditions have not worsened, but they are obviously going to be off for the foreseeable future, and we wish them uh, full recoveries from COVID. Uh, just the latest news to really hit New Japan hard. Um, Shingo Takagi still scheduled for that match with Evil uh, coming up the first weekend of September. And they have also announced that it will be Hiroshi Tanahashi and the returning Kota Ibushi on September 4th at the MetLife Dome for the IWGP United States title, which... I guess technically it, you can't say there's 0% chance because you could do it. But I would say this greatly, greatly, greatly reduces any chances of Tanahashi working all out. Unless he pulls like a Drew Parker from uh, doing Big Japan and GCW earlier this month. But I do not think they will be going to that length. I don't think so either. I'm pretty sure I saw a photo of him on Instagram flying back to um, to Japan. and. I don't even know what the current quarantine protocol may be. Um, but to leave Japan to get to the U.S., I mean, that's it's getting to Japan that's the difficult part. Leaving Japan and getting to the U.S., you could do that. Yeah, I, I'm going to say. But I, I do not at a, all see that happening, nor are they pushing that on TV. Nor does All Out, I think, need it. You know, if Tanahashi is going to come back to, to do a run, uh, you know, that, that really could be a bigger deal on its that own. That could be the San the Jose show in November, potentially. Sure. Yeah. So um, I, I, I feel like he will. The, the door is open. The forbidden door is no longer forbidden. And uh, we'll probably see him eventually, but probably not at all. Out. And Kota Ibushi, this will be this is the first match he's been announced uh, coming back for as well. So New Japan is off for the week and then they resume the summer struggle tour next Tuesday. And we will see what 
Uh, roster members are there, which are not, but Shingo Takagi and Bushi will be off for the foreseeable future. It's really and, great news for Kota Bushi. I mean, it means, first of all, look at the guy's healthy, healthy enough to, to be able to come back. Uh, it means he'll probably be around for the G1. And hopefully, you know, Shingo and Bushi are, are going to be okay before that as well. And a nice, easy match to just ease yourself back into where the the standard people are expecting is minimal, right? No, unfortunately <laughs> not. I mean, it's a sta- it is a stadium show, but you know, it's Tanahashi. You know, like if, if there's somebody who's able to maybe make the most out of what limitations you might see from Kota Ibushi, which will probably be none, it'll be him. Yeah, and this that will probably be the main event of the first night. Unless Shingo comes back. Before. Well, I mean, he's doing his match with Evil is the next night. I don't see him doing title matches both nights. So that's probably your, your headliner. The last thing before we go to Dynamite is that on Tuesday night, uh, I did get a chance to watch all of AEW Dark. I'm not going to run through the whole show, but just a few observations from uh, watching it. They they did put Dante Martin and Lee Moriarty in the main event slot, and it was not a very long match. But, man, Dante Martin feels like he has turned a corner in the last week just in terms of the fan perception i think they we talked about this recently about follow-up and how important that is we got the great performance last week not everybody is watching dark but for those that did he was put in a featured spot had a really entertaining match and then tonight on dynamite they went to the trouble of at least putting together a quick video package on his performance and making him the standout performer. So I thought that was great handling of Dante Martin. And I really enjoyed this main event and just the mindset of a show that did feature uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, who were challenging for the tag titles the next night. You had like notable names on this, but they went with Dante Martin and Lee Moriarty to put um, in the, in the main event slot where they uh, scheduled the matches. Um, Also on the show, Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson are starting to team up. I I think like they have like the two are very green, but I think as a team, there's something there between these two that I would like to see this tag team develop. And on the smaller shows, such as uh, AEW dark, they faced a team with uh, Joey keys and Spencer Slade, but uh, that was one notable part. And the spot of the show was Ray Phoenix. He hit this spinning cutter coming out of the corner onto Cole Carter that just looked amazing. It was this six-man with Death Triangle going over Chaos Project and Cole Carter. And this spot just looked unbelievably uh, great. And then the other thing here was the angle with Thunder Rosa and Penelope Ford. When Ford beat uh, Masha Slamovich and then was beating her up afterwards, Thunder Rosa runs down and that set up the match for tonight's Dynamite that we'll get into. But I thought this was like a really entertaining edition of Dynamite. It was... 90 minutes, but it's so fast-paced, and I really like, you know, someone like Ali Moriarty being put there. Uh, it's going to draw some people to want to see a match like that when you're pairing them with Dante Martin, where you're probably not going to have time for that on a Dynamite or Rampage. So it was a fun show to watch. This was taped in Pittsburgh last Friday. So let's go into Dynamite from the Fertitta Center in Houston, Texas. And before the show, Sammy Guevara, in his hometown proposed to his girlfriend Pam and they would show this later on in the program and during the opening they go to a group of signs one of which reads right for the camera CM Punk isn't here which he was not nope he was not in Houston Moxley and Kingston came out and they immediately get attacked by 2.0 
and Daniel Garcia, where Garcia's got a lead pipe and 2.0 storm into the ring. They take the microphone and Matt Lee says that they have taken out Moxley and Kingston. So Sting and Darby don't have any backup and calls them out for their match. And Sting makes his big entrance. They're promoting the fact that it's been 20 years since he competed on TNT. And while he's making his grand entrance, Darby appears from behind 2.0 in the ring and attacks him with the skateboard. And the match begins. Sting is super over. It's a Texas Tornado match. So essentially no rules. They brawl into the concourse area. Garcia is involved in the attack. So it's three on two for the beginning portion. They went for the two for the show, sending Darby Allen into the ceiling in the lobby area. And then as they make their way to the floor, Darby scales down the balcony, diving onto all three. This is when Eddie Kingston returns for a big pop. Sting and Darby are able to bring a table into the ring. And Darby gets dropped onto the wheels of his skateboard by 2.0 on the ramp. And this is when Tony Schiavone notes Sting's knee injury that he suffered in 1990, that 31-year-old nagging knee injury that could cause a problem here in 2021. And Sting ends up taking a powerbomb by 2.0 through a table. Darby returns and he shoves 2.0 into a double scorpion death drop. And then Sting applies a double Scorpion Deathlock to both members of 2.0 who tap out together in 6 minutes and 15 seconds. And this audience was just having an explosive reaction to Sting. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, unlike, I think, um, your usual Darby-Sting combination matches, I mean, they are putting a lot of the focus behind Sting and making him continue to feel special with limitations that he clearly has. But, I mean, coming out of this, you don't think about his limitations. You think about really memorable spots, like him taking that double suplex off through a table and then him no-selling it. I don't usually love guys no-selling big spots for no reason, but I love it when that guy is Sting. You need to book spots around what he can do to make him look like an attraction, and I thought this was one of those. The double scorpion deathlock was another great spot you could design to make him look special without requiring a great deal of physicality around him. The point is, you come out of this match remembering these things. These things are surprising, they stick with you, and they make Sting Wrestling feel like a welcome addition to this otherwise incredibly physical style of of, of wrestling that you typically get on this show. It, to me, built Sting to a, a, a nice level, so that next time you promote him to, for a match again... You'll, you'll probably get a good deal of anticipation. And 2.0 were not just the doormats here. They had a great segment on the Road 2 video they put out this week. And just giving Matt Lee some mic time here, I thought they showed, you know, they, they were here to be the opponents, but I thought they were able to display a lot of personality as well. And I think this is a, this is a great team for AEW to go after. And look what they did with them in just a couple of weeks' time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it look, they're to be a very valuable team who are, I think, great at getting baby faces um, to look tremendous, including here, Sting. And I imagine they'll probably do the same next with Moxley and Kingston. So they showed the footage of Sammy Guevara proposing to his girlfriend earlier in the night. She said yes. And we cut to Sean Spears and Tully Blanchard, who are laughing 
stating it must be slim pickings here in Houston. And Sean Spears says that Pam, his fiance, can be in the pinnacle and be on top for one night only. This asshole. Ouch, dirty lines, but you know what? Great heel lines. So Sammy Guevara comes out, heroes welcome against Sean Spears, who's got Tully in the corner. Pam is in the front row. And Spears attacks Sammy on the ramp. And Sammy comes back and does a dive off the ramp. Spears then sidesteps, sending Sammy into the steps. And then him and Tully execute a spike pile driver to injure Sammy's neck. The bell finally rings when Sammy is rolled into the ring. And Tully gets ejected. And Sammy fights back. He goes for a double springboard cutter off the top, which misses. They go through the break and... A guardrail is placed between the barricade and the ring, and it's just laying there. And you know someone's going to die here. So they, the two fight to the top rope. They're both balanced up there. And Spears gives him the middle finger, and Guevara hits a top rope cutter and a huge near fall. Spears comes back, hits the C4 off the turnbuckle. He gets the big near fall. The whole crowd is chanting for Sammy. They fight on the edge of the apron, and Spears gets sent off with a Death Valley driver through this balanced guardrail. Sammy rolls him in, hits the 630. It's a recreation of how Stadium Stampede 2 ended, and I swear every last person in the Fertitta Center bit on this finish. I think everyone thought this was the end. This was a huge near fall spot as Spears kicks out and Sammy finishes him. The knee pad is down. He delivers three knee strikes, one of which just busts open Spears and he is bleeding all over the place. And Guevara hits the GTH in nine minutes and 49 seconds. Really great match. I thought a lot of really big spots. Um, I feel like um the crowd i think really carried this one but the the action was really tremendous too you know there are moments where i think spears really tries to wrestle that very cerebral style and it doesn't necessarily work for me um at least in in the context of like AEW at times it feels a little bit boring uh, i have to say but you know the crowd was able to really lift this one to make it feel like it was a special match with Sammy being incredibly over uh so he comes out of this one I really feeling like, you know, like a, a near main eventer, I think. Yeah, I, I thought Spears looked really good in this. I thought this was one of his better outings in AEW. And with Guevara, he continues to be someone that, you know, he's had these these big, big wins. And then ha- he did have the MJF loss. But, you know, tonight was just a big spotlight on him. And I thought, like, it was just, again, like last week, great utilization of someone in their hometown that made him feel huge. So I think like there's a lot of interest on Sammy Guevara because he really does not have a program for all out. So yeah, this sort of just felt like a a chance to spotlight him in his hometown and you know, he seems like he is on the cusp. He's just lacking that that big next step post inner circle and the whole feud with the Pinnacle, which kind of feels like it's it's reaching its conclusion. I think so too. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, you know, like what is sort of like his ceiling while still being a part of the inner circle, you know, Kane. Like I, they've teased the breakup and they've gone against the breakup, and I don't know if you have to break them up in order to elevate Sammy to that next level role. But can we see? Can they su- successfully achieve that? You know, have maybe Jericho 
somehow be able to step down while having Sammy step up. Shivani, who this had to be a record for the amount of throws to Tony Shivani in the back tonight. They even made, they even joked about it that he had to have like travel miles tonight based on how many times he was in the back. He must have done a hundred interviews. He's interviewing Christian Cage. He's got the Impact and TNA titles. Don Callis interrupts, bringing up their 25 year history and says, That's all great that you won. Now you get to take a one winged angel, but at least you get to have a five star match with Kenny at All Out. And Don is on top of the wrestling world. Christian, you're still doing wrestling matches. That's really great. Cage says, you're not in my head. I'm taking the AEW championship at All Out. And you, Don, are still a carny piece of shit. Reminds the uh, Dynamite audience about the win on Friday. And uh, yeah, continues that build to All Out. Then they did the feature on Dante Martin's performance last week and comments from Dante that he took Kenny Omega to the limit and next time he will be that much better and he's a name that everyone knows. So not like a huge feature, but I like the fact that they felt the need to carve out some time to remind you of something because there are a lot of things that happen every week on Dynamite and it becomes easy to forget about some of them after several weeks. So I like the fact that they went to that and understood that Dante was one of the major talking points coming out of last week's show that maybe that was the hope last week, but I can't imagine they expected it would deliver to the degree it did. Like he was one of the big stories coming out of last week. Completely. You know, it's all well and good to praise somebody for a great performance, but if it's not mentioned the next week, it's pretty much for nothing. So I hope this continues for Dante Martin. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, they probably took their cues after all those video packages of Ricochet after Money in the Bank. Yes. Tony Schiavone is in the ring. And Dan Lambert is back, everyone. And he has brought his muscle there. The two men that I'm sure everyone predicted we would see in an AEW ring this year. Andre Orlovsky and Junior Dos Santos. And Lambert, I don't know how many times this guy cut this promo in his bathroom this week. It had to have been 100. Uh, Because that's what his volume was at here. He says that AEW has brought cancel culture here, affecting his free speech. And noted that the UFC contracts prevent fighters from being in pro wrestling rings. And said that was a really good move, Tony. And I wonder if that was like a legit line about they probably wanted UFC champions to be here with Dan Lambert. and. I wonder if they had any uh, pushback from that. I, I think I many because did they not say two current champions? I thought they had said current. I don't remember, but I I took this to mean you know his explanation for why Amanda Nunez and Jorge Masvidal didn't come up to help him last time. Oh, okay. So not being in the ring this week. It was talking about when Archer attacked Dan Lambert the last month. That's how I took it. Maybe maybe I misheard. There was a lot of yelling here, and I was trying to type as best I could. Um, so we, I will take your word for that. He says that he has a message for the locker room. If you're feeling froggy, come out and jump. And AEW is not the answer to all of your pro wrestling prayers. It's a bunch of wannabe tough guys that couldn't wrestle their way out of a wet paper bag. It's filled with fans in their mom's basements looking up... <laughs> Looking up random shit on the dark web. (laughs) And with that, the man standing up for all the fans in their basements 
was Lance Archer, who comes out, but before he can get to the ring and go toe-to-toe with Andre Orlovsky and Junior Dos Santos, who just looked like they didn't know what they were here to do. They were just standing there, and they had... It was just stand there. That was their whole role. They didn't have to do anything mm-hmm. else. And they, uh, Archer gets attacked by Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page, the men of the year. Yeah. Um, I, I like the promo. I think he is great. Um, I think he might need to... He gets really excited, I think. And, and thus, it feels a lot more like a guy trying to do a heel wrestling promo you know from the 80s screaming at the top of his lungs rather than somebody actually getting angry and coming out here and maybe feeling a bit more organic in delivery but once he gets to that level i think he is absolutely tremendous um the content of the promo i thought was a lot of fun he is simply a lot of fun to watch i was hoping to see arlovsky and jds actually get involved in some way here don't exactly know why they were there. I mean, other than to appear, you know, like backup. But I was hoping that they'd be able to work them into a spot somehow. My uh, my first thought when I saw Junior Dos Santos there, I was like, oh, my God, we're going to get the fourth JDS Cain Velasquez match in an AEW wrestling. <laughs> that was what I first thought immediately. <laughs> Jeez. And they were in Houston. That's where their third fight took place. <laughs> there you go. Will it be above or below sea level? That would have to be in the contract, yeah. I mean, uh, they will Velasquez. work that into a finish somehow. Yes. Maybe oh. Fabrizio Verdun will come in, and we will get uh, we will get the multiple matches out of the former UFC heavyweight champions. Yeah. So what is this like? Uh, either Scorpio or Ethan Page against Lance Archer seems to be our next. Program. Or Archer finds a partner of some sort. Like this did feel somewhat disjointed, unless we're going to see Dan Lambert return with the Men of the Year as like their mouthpiece. Yeah, the disjoint. I mean, they'll explain it somehow. They'll try to make it make sense. But I wouldn't mind Dan Lambert with Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. I don't know what sort of MMA connection you would have. You know, I don't know how that necessarily fits Dan Lambert's kind of a mo of like hating on AEW and hating on modern professional wrestling. Um, I don't know if Scorpio Sky or Ethan Page really kind of fit that old school bill. But um, I also feel like this was maybe one too many sneak attacks we've had from AEW. Like, this is 40 minutes into the show and our third attack from behind. So, to me, that, that felt a little bit too too reliant on that trope. Well, it is worth noting that Scorpio Sky does have a 2-1 and MMA record. Okay, there you go. Wow. What about Ethan Page? Um, do, uh, well, I mean... Ethan Page did fight Karate Man. I don't know if that was a sanction <laughs> that, that or not. Is, that is the connection. Karate Man. Um, yes. <laughs> Perfect. Scorpio Sky last fought uh, Lance Bush for uh, oh for University of MMA in March of 2015. He lost a split decision. This was a three round fight uh, in LA, but okay. two and one record. And he has an amateur fight on his well, uh, record as well. That's more than most pro wrestlers. It works for me. After that segment, we go to Jericho backstage. He has paid the price doing the labors and goes over all the attacks and injuries. He has survived them all and gets the ultimate prize tonight. Might not have Judas the effect or Judas the music, but you know what he has, Way? Momentum. And the fans are going to sing him to the ring. MJF, you're not as good as you think you are. And I'm getting my revenge for blood and guts where you tried to kill me. I'm going to kick his bitchy little ass And it's Jericho up and my jerk-off friend down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was, you know, 
they they must have been incredibly confident that these people were going to sing that song because Jericho. I mean, this was Jericho prompting them again to do it. And if they didn't do it, that would have been really embarrassing. And, and the crowd, the crowd did their part tonight. They, they could not have been more did. on board for what they were attempting. It was not um, even with all the push this week. Like they were going to the point of posting the lyrics, but. It's still you're still trying to get over four thousand people to sing and mm-hmm. and be in sync, and they were not like it came off. It was a cool moment, and that's what they were trying to do. It was very ambitious, and yeah, it worked out. The Young Bucks against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus for the AEW Tag Team Championship with about five thousand people in the corner of the Young Bucks. Don Callis on commentary. Uh, man, there there was so much in this match, and pretty much what they are doing is that. Any babyface challengers, they not only have to beat the Bucks, they have to overcome the numbers. And no matter how close they come, there is all but always somebody to stop them. And it does make logical sense for where they are heading now with with the Young Bucks. But uh, we see Jungle Boy uh, sell throughout the first part here. After the break, he makes the hot tag to Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy does this superplex to Nick while standing on the back of Luchasaurus. Almost fell. Almost slipped. This, hit so, it. Man, those are pretty sturdy turnbuckles. Like, that would be... That's a good base. Rather than yeah. a man's upper back. Uh, there's a double chokeslam by Luchasaurus to the Bucks. And then lifts up one into a cutter by Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy goes to the floor with a tope suicida. The Bucks then go to super kick Luchasaurus. And Jungle Boy uh, goes off the back into a double super kick. There's an assisted indie taker that ends... Nick goes for the missile drop kick and in landing it falls on Luchasaurus with a senton. Jungle Boy kicks out of that. Marco Stunt gets on the apron and this is when Kenny Omega runs down and attacks Marco Stunt with a chair while wearing his shirt that reads Chick Magnet. Mhm. So this guy must have just gone on a splurge of shirts at like his local uh Goodwill and like these are all shirts that you would find probably in like a bargain bin, but very relevant what, for where they're going. It would have been quite the goodwill to have both a Cookie Monster shirt and a Chick Magnet shirt in the same bin. So the only thing I could think about here is the idea of a non-title match at some point between Kenny Omega and Marco Stunt. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. I'd I mean, love it. We, oh, well, we've seen Kenny wrestle like an eight-year-old girl or 12 or however many, however old you know she was. Um, I... I imagine this would be just as memorable. So Omega passes the chair to Matt, and this is, you know, uh, repeating what happened on Friday. And Christian Cage comes out, spearing Omega and fighting him to the back. Rick Knox is distracted by all the members of the elite. And Jungle Boy counters with a brain buster onto the chair. Nick makes the save right at the last minute. They hit the Thoracic Express onto Matt for another big near fall. And Gallows and Anderson, Cutler and Nakazawa all get taken out with a moonsault by Luchasaurus. Jungle Boy then does a roll through on Matt and gets caught with the BTE trigger as Nick is back in position. And they pin Jungle Boy in 11 minutes and 26 seconds. Luchasaurus is just too late to save Jungle Boy. I thought this was awesome. This match was insane. They piled so much in this against the Jurassic Express. Um, It ended up making them look incredible even in defeat. There was so much activity in this, and oftentimes, like, that could be too much. 
Like last week, we we talked about that Hardy front office match and how much they put into that, and that to me did not work. The Bucks always have a way of making too much somehow perfectly look awesome and digestible. And I mean, you know, coming out of it, you just like you have great mm, sense of story that you build to the next. Uh, what is it? That tag team tur- turmoil thing uh, coming up? The Eliminator uh, tournament they're gonna do. The, the Eliminator tournament, and um, you ended up providing a great backdrop for them to continue to heat up Kenny versus Christian here. Yeah, I mean, it was the latest case of the baby faces coming out strong even in defeat to the young bucks it's building to the bucks not being able to benefit from the numbers game and uh, this is just an awesome tv match and man everyone was raving about this first hour of dynamite like it was really solid the first 60 minutes of the show yeah it was good uh after the match gallows brought christian back to the ring they're beating down jurassic express and cage when don callis gets into the ring kicks Christian and in the process injures his foot and Omega hits the one winged angel and Don Callis counts three. Uh, and then jungle boy is tending to cage as all the members of the elite pose at the front by the entrance. So big segment. Mm-hmm. Tony interviewed Britt Baker rebel and the problem solver, the fixer, Jamie Hayter. Britt explains that Red Velvet played dirty, but she also played dumb. Hater says, I go way back with Britt and makes the challenge to Red Velvet for next Wednesday in Milwaukee to fix her attitude. And Britt says, you said red isn't my color? Well, gold is definitely not your color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good line. I thought Hater sounded pretty good. You know, this opens up Baker for some tag matches. I think it also keeps Red Velvet in the mix as they're trying to build Chris Statlander. So, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the introduction last week because I thought it kind of deflated an otherwise really hot segment. But, it, you know, in the end, it'll work out perfectly fine. It's a great way to reintroduce Jamie Hayter. And we have Britt Baker pretty much being a straight-up heel again tonight. Yeah. I mean, there was no Chris Statlander on the on this show, but I would imagine, you know, she will be, you know, figured in at some point over the next week when they're getting closer. There's a video on Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy building up for an upcoming match with them. Matt Hardy explained he is not picking on Wheeler Yuta, who he beat on Dark on Tuesday. And he's going to kick their asses again. And Orange Cassidy said, maybe we should find out about that. Shivani brings out his big buddy, Paul White. And they note that there will be a special edition of Elevation on Thursday night featuring Matt Seidel versus Daniel Garcia. So we've got a Thursday night elevation. White said it was amazing to get back into the ring last week. He's got an announcement, but he's interrupted by the factory. And QT explains that here in AEW, we don't say things to build up anticipation and let the fans down. The factory forgives Paul White for his attack last week. And then QT calls the people in Houston morons. And QT is privy to a lot of information, so he reveals the very private x-rays of Paul White's hip that required five operations. White is not embarrassed by the hip replacement that he had and his ass being shown on TV. He spoke to Tony Khan, and at All Out, it's Paul White versus QT Marshall. And QT sold this fear, this announcement... We've got it. White Marshall at All Out. 
Yeah, I you know I don't really love it for All Out. I don't know if this really kind of lit, lit Twitter on fire either. I don't really think it makes any difference to the interests people have in All Out. Um, I even feel like the crowd, while they reacted well to the segment overall, I don't think they were exactly reacting <laughs> with much fanfare for the match announcement itself. But I will say, we have seen what this company has done with somebody like Sting. If White can pull out maneuvers that we haven't seen him do in years, I think he'll be able to surprise a lot of people. He'll be able to surprise these crowds. Anticipation going into this one is low, but it doesn't mean that we can't leave the match with a very different opinion. And I just, you know, tell everybody to look at what they've done with Christian versus Kenny in one single week. You're not going to be able to book, you know, Paul White versus QT with the same ramifications, of course. But um, I feel like they have to be confident enough in a Paul White performance to push, put him out there on that stage to keep up with so many of these other guys. Um, they have to assume that I th- I have to assume that they have something surprising in store for us. And I think it'll also be really short as well. Like I'm not imagining this goes much more than five or six minutes. Yeah. But even if it's short, like if it's simply him coming out there, knockout punch, like that's not going to be satisfying for a crowd. I think you have to do more than that. Yeah. I don't think you can do moonsault. I don't want to see Paul White try and moonsault in 2021, but we'll see those hips though, man. They're, they're very, that's modern technology, you know, he'll come out with Shakira. Ah, maybe Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling. They address Kira Hogan. And that match is happening on Rampage on Friday night. And Cargill, for whatever reason, brought up uh, Fuego Del Sol winning the contract last week and forgot his name. Uh, But it's Cargill and Hogan on Friday night. She's saying that this will be her version of what Miro did to Fuego Del Sol. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, this will be cool. It'll be cool to see... uh... Uh, you know, um, so is this a this is a match on Rampage, right? Yeah, it's a match yeah, on Rampage. Yeah. I, I, it's first of all, it's great to finally be able to see Jade Cargill wrestle again. It's cool to see Kerry Hogan make her, I suppose, broadcast debut for AEW. Um, so I think it'll be like it, it's one of three matches, right, on 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 Rampage, and it'll probably get a lot of eyeballs. Maybe the most, you know, certainly the most since her match with Shaq. Perhaps I suppose, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't we'll, we'll have to see what ratings are like on for Friday. Tony Schiavone is with the Elite, and Callis calls the Young Bucks the greatest tag team of all time. And Schiavone announces that they have made an Eliminator tournament involving the Lucha Brothers, Varsity Blondes, Private Party, and Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, where the winners of the Eliminator tournament, <laughs> he said, will face the Young Bucks in a steel cage match. In Chicago. He did not say all out. So it's not that specific when you're saying in Chicago this month. But I think everyone understood that this is for the pay-per-view. Or TV. There's a lot of Chicago's. Yeah. Well, it's not happening on Friday. We know that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it makes complete sense for a steel cage match. There is a reason for it. Um, I guess the question would be if, if people are leaning towards, you know, Penta and Phoenix... Uh, do you want to see the Bucks against Phoenix and Penta in a steel cage? Mm, is the novel or is the interest of that match? Is that does that enhance the match or does that restrict them? I think they'll be plenty creative, like even with the steel steel cage. I don't really worry about that. 
you know, the fact that they might not be able to fly around and do their usual spots, I, I'm pretty sure the match would be good as well. But, you know, are are we sure that it'll be them? You know, do the others not really stand a chance? I mean, it's... I, I would say, like, Phoenix and Penta would be the most intriguing match. You just did Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy tonight. I would not assume Private Party. Uh, and I guess the Varsity Blondes um, would be a distant second to pick. Mm, yeah. Taz is in the ring with the notorious Hook. I thought they were going to let Hook talk. I thought, I thought, man, Taz has an announcement to make with Hook. But instead, he introduced Ricky Starks, who addressed Brian Cage, wants to talk to him face-to-face. But in the back, powerhouse Hobbs is standing over a fallen Brian Cage who gets to his feet, starts fighting Hobbs, and Starks just cuts the feed, and they all race to the back. Yeah, not much to this, really, this week. It was one of those things where this was the moment where I felt like the show was moving so fast. I This was probably one of those segments I'll, I'll totally forget. There were a lot of angles on the show. Shivani is in the back with Death Triangle. Pac is going to humiliate Andrade in the same arena at the same event where Pac obliterated Kenny Omega on two weeks' notice back in 2019. And what chance do you have against a bastard like me? So Andrade and Chavo entered to answer that question and said that if Pac wants this match, you need to agree to his conditions. And they present him with this stack of computer printout paper. Just pages and pages here. And Chavo says that the Lucha Brothers will never be champions with a boss like Pac. I was hoping we would end the segment like knowing exactly what the stipulations would be, but I mean, he's got to have a lawyer probably at least spend two weeks to go through those papers. I mean, Pac was, you know, he he eventually got out of his WWE deal, so I'm sure he's he's been through the ringer when it comes to, uh, you know, stipulations and trying to uh, make sure that you are above board in a legal sense. I hope we find out on Friday, at least, you know, do you think you can read all find a lawyer and read all this in that time? Like that, these are a lot of pages. I don't know what lawyer, how much the hourly rate is going to be to go through something like that and finalize it in 48 hours. I mean, this would prompt me to just sign. Like I wouldn't even read it. Penelope Ford and Thunder Rosa. Uh, Thunder Rosa came out with a Texas flag. It's her adopted home. This crowd loved her. Ford uh, gets drop kicked off the apron. They were talking about the lights out match from back in March between Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. And Rosa is rammed into the post. They go through the break. Ford's got the heat. And then Ford misses with a boot to the corner, Hits a bu- uh, is hit with a butterfly suplex. And Ford goes for the Indian deathlock. And Thunder Rosa turns her over while controlling the leg, but just loses it here and goes to a half crab. And it seemed like this, this was supposed to be the ending because they just kind of went back and forth for a bit and then did the exact same counter where the Indian Deathlock was countered and Rosa turned her over, applying a choke, and this was the finish in eight minutes and four seconds. I didn't really notice all that, maybe uh, the mishap, the potential mishap at the end in there, but um, overall I thought the match was just okay. I didn't really think it got into the next gear, but I I, I continued to be impressed with Ford as like a really good setup heel at the moment, and... I thought the match again proved Rose's connection to the crowd being really strong. I mean, especially here wearing the Texas flag, being in her adopted hometown. But she's 100% a future title holder, uh, perhaps next in line after Britt Baker. 
They replayed Malachi Black's debut when he attacked Arn Anderson and Cody. And Tony is with Arn and son Brock. Arn says that sometimes things crash down out of nowhere and all of a sudden you're in the middle of turmoil. Malachi Black debuted seven weeks ago and I've just found out that next week my son Brock is scheduled to face Black and he tries to talk Brock out of it. Arn says he's experienced, he's vicious, he'll hurt you. Brock says I'm not here to air our dirty laundry but the match is signed. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. And out walks Brock. This is going to be a wonderful destruction next week. It'll be great. Um, I think what'll be even better is not necessarily seeing Malachi Black, but seeing Arn Anderson's reaction yes. the entire time. Because, um, you know, first of all, I think Brock came across really well here in his very little, you know, minor speaking role. But he sounded, like, believable. Arn was tremendous. You know, he, he the now getting more of Arn acting and now getting him act as a father concerned for his son. To me, this felt like a much more natural version of your typical Ray and Dominic segment. And I just can't wait to see Arn react to see holding his son in his arms, you know, decapitated <laughs> next week. Arn could be the star of next week's program. Or the following week after with the the aftermath. Uh, but I, I think this will be like a great showcase for Malachi Black and something. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially, you'll have Malachi Black and he's got Cody and Brock as his casualties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, they run through the upcoming shows. So Friday's Rampage has the start of the Eliminator Tournament with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus against Private Party, Jade Cargill versus Kiera Hogan, and John Moxley versus Daniel Garcia. Don't yeah, have time for anything else. <laughs> it's only th- it's three whole matches. It's only one hour, man. I don't know. I don't think it's happening, John. It's not. They couldn't fit it in. And then next Wednesday, they're in Milwaukee, and we've got Malachi Black versus Brock Anderson, Orange Cassidy against Matt Hardy, Red Velvet against Jamie Hayter, and the Varsity Blondes against the Lucha Bros in the other uh, Eliminator match for the tag tournament. So uh, not a big lineup for next week, but if all goes to plan on Friday, they are going to have so much buzz coming out of the weekend. And I think that next week will be uh, the focus will not be these four matches. CM Punk is on the show. They can they can coast, okay? Like they don't they don't need hot matches anymore. Like at least for like a good month, I feel like they can just coast off a of, CM Punk appears. CM Punk says one word. He'll say another word in two weeks. Like that'll be more than enough. After a month, you can string together his message. Yeah. Miro does a promo about beating Fuego del Sol. He got something he doesn't deserve. I serve God every day and my hot wife every night. And his next challenge is issued to Eddie Kingston. Your redeemer wants to talk. So he this is the big this is the big match. I really was hoping that this would be Arthur Ashe Stadium, but it does look like they're going uh earlier to Eddie Kingston. But this I think this is gonna be I I hope they get it's not just they announce it for well, it, this should be the pay-per-view, to be quite honest. This is a big enough match for the pay-per-view and mm-hmm. give us some promos for a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, typically these TNT title defenses, you know who's going to win at the end of it because they they feel like such mismatches. But 
Eddie Kingston is a real challenger. And this is a title that, of course, he debuted trying to fight for. Um, so I I feel like they need to try to push this one as one that you can conceivably believe Kingston might actually win. Certainly, there's a whole lot of great promo segments that you can get out of this rivalry. So I, I hope they take their time with it. John Moxley cut this great promo. He said, everyone's coming to AEW now that it's the hottest company in the world. Why do they all think it's so easy? He makes fun of Hangman Page and his high school drama skits on being the elite insults Christian says I carried the title on my back through the dark and uncertain times. It's time to send a message about what it means to be on top. Daniel Garcia wants a taste of the main event. He needs to ask himself, is this what you really want? There's going to be doctors there Friday for your safety, but that's not my concern. Ask yourself if this is what you really want. Protect your neck because this is no joke. I thought this was a great, great promo from Moxley. Yeah, really good promo from Mox. And I like him mentioning everybody who might be on top, who might be going to the top in the future, including these baby faces. And it's almost a little bit startling to hear a baby face, you know, talk down another baby face so, um, I don't know, casually. Because, I mean, if this was real life, there would be no delineation between good guy and bad guy that simply wouldn't exist everybody is a competitor is your competition everybody is a competitor competitor that you'd want to cut a promo on so this felt very believable what what no matter what moxley's future direction is as a heel or baby face and what aew has kind of leaned into is people filling the roles based on their situations i think like with heels if you have like a justifiable perspective like a john moxley that you know i'm the guy that came here before this company was a big success so now everyone's coming now that it's safe to go to aew this you know there's a lot of promo material for moxley for a program with punk where he can assume that role and be the guy to say you didn't want to be here on day one i did and now you're coming now that we're all successful because of people like me that built this company so it's like you can understand his perspective even though this audience is going to be so behind cm punk for those beginning programs. So I think, you know, you do need, if if you've got Punk and Danielson coming in, it's like you do need some people in heel positions, even if you don't do hard turns with them, uh, to, to work with these people. So uh, I really like that this turn and Moxley is one, like you don't have to do something dramatic. You can just have, you know, his point of view that can work very well for some of these people coming in and have that option. Main event time, Jericho comes out, and Houston, they just sang Judas at the top of their lungs. Dasha went to do the ring introduction and then just stopped. She just stopped. She's like, why am I talking over this? Um, And thankfully stopped this. Like, this would have really screwed up the crowd, I think, if she was just, if they had to battle one another. So it was a great moment. Um, The crowd was electric here. They nailed the song. Jericho looked so happy that this this bloody thing worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can tell he looked genuinely impressed. Impressed. Um, again, an incredibly ambitious thing. No matter how, I mean, again, this this is a very dedicated audience, but still, it's one thing to maybe get them to jump on a new chant. It's another to get them to do karaoke without the lyrics on the screen. Um, 
you're asking these people to like go through the effort of like memorizing these lyrics or at least having them ready on their phone, which some people seem to, uh, and it worked, it paid off. It was, so what is the next thing that they're going to do? What's the next, uh, ambitious thing that they'll ask? Um, Belt collector to me is no ish, no problem now. You know, they can, they, they can get people to chant belt collector easily. I love the idea of like audience members the night before, like studying the song. It's like, yeah. Can't go to bed yet. I've got to I've got to prepare <laughs> for the show tomorrow night. <laughs> got to sing Judas. <laughs> so, the match begins uh, on the floor. MJF grabs the camera and starts shooting the fans while delivering the middle finger. So Jericho of course knocks him down and we get the pers- the the shot from MJF's perspective as as Jericho gives the middle finger and then returns the camera to the operator. It was a wonderful little take on, you know, the usual Jericho spot that we've seen with Jericho, I suppose, knowing his own move and knowing his own gimmick well, really well. Visually, I, I don't know how well it played live because I don't know if they got to see the camera angle of Jericho coming in, with giving the finger and, and everything. But for me at home, it killed. Jericho, like, hops up to the top, landed a double axe. Like, Jericho's babyface stuff here, like, it's it's all... I'm not even going to say basic. Like he's doing that top rope Rana pretty routinely now and just seeing him do the lion salt and stuff. But it's like a lot of just little tricks that he has acquired that work. Like this crowd, dude, he could do no wrong to this audience. They were into the 10 punches. Like it was just any kind of offense he was doing. They were behind him as a baby face. So they had a great crowd to work off of here. Um, they, they continue going here. And then after the top rope Hurricane Rana, uh, MJF transitions to the salt of the earth and he's biting the fingers. Jericho gets out. MJF is working on that injured arm that's been the major injury all the way back since Blood and Guts at the beginning of May. He hits the heat seeker and sna- and that's after snapping the arm on the rope. Jericho kicks out the whole crowd. They're chanting Jericho. Uh, I was getting messages from a, a fan that was in the building who was just telling me, like, it was electric in this crowd. Like, they were so loud inside the building for this match. There's a sleeper applied to MJF. He grabs referee Aubrey Edwards, and this allows him to low blow Jericho, and MJF applies the walls of Jericho. They do this close up of Jericho selling. Have you looked at Jericho's teeth? I've uh, not. Not on purpose. This okay. is like a Colgate commercial. His teeth are an an amazing white. Like there, like it. It looks. It was. I. My attention was just stuck as he's selling. Like his teeth are so white. Wow. Um. I've not noticed that. Now I watch I next try. time. Like you. You will be blown away at just the, like the 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 shine off of these teeth he hmm. fights to the rope big cheers as he gets to the rope he reaches for the bat while mjf goes to the opposite corner to get the ring aubrey catches mjf with the ring jericho hits him with the bat behind aubrey's back and he goes for the judas effect but stops in his tracks because he cannot hit it and this allows mjf to hit the judas effect and then he applies the salt of the earth Jericho tries to counter back to the salt of the earth and Jericho is forced to tap out in 15 minutes and 20 seconds as MJF is the winner after all the labors 
MJF wins. Really good match. Really good conclusion to this entire Labors of Jericho storyline. Um, uh, I really like the finish here. It was, I thought the stipulation worked really well. You know, both of them. The Judas thing uh, off the top and then the Judas effect tease at the very end before Jericho caught himself. Uh, I thought it was a great way to end the feud. I don't think the feud is over. I think that this is going, like, I see coming out of this, Jericho has to plead for one more match and put something of significance on the line, whether that's he has to disappear or like something major. Like that's what this felt at the end that this is not going to end on this match. And that's what I envision happening. And maybe, maybe that's like Jericho departs for a while after this. Could be. Yeah, it could be. I just, for me, I wonder if, if it does continue after this, because how many times can he be defeated by MJF? You know, um, yeah, MJF was putting over like he has three wins over Jericho. Like this was a pretty and it was in some ways like this was MJF uh, who, yes, he put Jericho in the handicap position to not use the Judas effect. But here's the guy. He overcomes the bat shot and ends up winning in, you know, clean fashion here. Yeah. Yeah. I like, mean, there were no like there was nothing. There was nothing really all that that screwy here. Uh, for MJF, who I maintain, there will come the day that they will get a babyface out of MJF down the road. Oh, anytime they want to make that change, they can. But, you know, in the end, this feud, I believe, has to end with MJF being on top. He is your upstart. He is the young project. He's the person who you're going to spend the next several years with, with Jericho being on his way out. So um, is this the end of this feud? Is there? I, I certainly think that there will be enough audience interest for another one, especially if there's a really heavy stakes, uh, atta- uh, some heavy stake attached to it. Um, but I and, and if the crowd buys it, like I think you're at this point now where I think you're slowly teaching your AEW audience that we're not going to screw you on stipulations. But I mean that's that's still a long road, I think, for them. Like if if you were to throw out. Um, like, I think, honestly, if you were to put, like, a retirement stipulation, I don't think your audience is going to buy that, even with AEW sticking to their stipulations. I think it has to be something more reasonable, like a Jericho disappears for six months, which they will buy. Yeah, I mean, if there's a retirement Jericho, I would love to see Jericho do a retirement storyline. I, I Something tells me that he's not ready for it, but, I mean, the book did come out. You know, like he is also the type to, for to for me to sense that, like, if he is going to retire, he's not going to tell anybody until he's actually ready to do it, and he'll shock you with something, you know, with a, with the stipulation that actually goes through like this. Um, I hope it's not anytime soon. And it's a very interesting time. Like he was a pivotal figure. You could argue the most pivotal figure, especially for year one. And now it's like AEW is going into the next phase. And where does Jericho, where does the inner circle fit in? Like this is this is a company that is greatly evolving um, mm-hmm. week by week as we're looking at this. And this next uh, six weeks are going to be an enormous potential growth period for, for the company. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine that these two uh, don't have some prominent spot at, at the pay-per-view. So that was my thought at the end of this, just thinking that Jericho has to put something big up to get one more match out of MJF. So we will see. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they can take a break from the pay-per-view, especially if, like, you know, we'll have to see how, how great this card is to, to round it out. But um, 
you're approaching the point now with these AEW shows where you have a lot of people of interest and you can't fit everybody on. And to me, that was the reason why I thought that they decided to do this one on TV and not at the pay-per-view. Um, so I, I can see them not having a role. All right. That was dynamite. Um, a pretty, pretty big show. Um, especially that first hour, very strong stuff. Um, I think that I think this will be a dynamite that is going to do a very strong number, given all the different uh, elements they they had to this, from the buildup of Jericho and MJF, Sting wrestling on TV, that I think was probably a big factor to it as well, and I think just it'll give you a sense of like the the overall buzz that the company has going into Friday. I agree. Yeah. Let's see if the forum agrees with us, or if they're all going to have dissenting opinions tonight. The poll shows this one an 8.09 out of 10. So topping, topping eight. We start off with Dan, who writes, Sometimes you just need to see Sting double Scorpion Deathlock, a pair of Quebecers, at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday night. Never change, AEW. Another fun episode of Dynamite. Sammy Guevara was on fire. Dan Lambert's talk radio blowhard type persona is still fun on a bun. And we got to enjoy a big drama-packed main event with crowd-pleasing spots and heartbreaking results. I don't think the Houston crowd is going to be confused with the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir anytime soon. But there's nowhere else on TV where you're going to see thousands of Texan, Texas wrestling fans make their acapella debut. And that's pretty cool. Shout out to all the wonderful fans at home that realize that Big Show wears the same brand of underpants that they do. Trent says, I am typing this as I walk out of the venue. The show is fantastic. Crowd was absolutely out of control for the main event. I also went to the shows in Austin and Dallas a few weeks ago, but nothing from those shows was as rowdy as that main event. I'm curious to see where Jericho goes from here, as that felt like a goodbye of sorts. Uh, next one up here. Not sure if it was mentioned, but TSN2 in Canada will have Rampage this Friday after a football game. So here's to hoping the game doesn't go long. Very fun show tonight. Sting no-selling the table spot was just great, and the crowd popping for it was amazing. Congratulations to Sammy, and what a match. I thought Jurassic Express were going to win. I really bought the finish. What a way to enhance the Cage Omega match with the angle afterwards. The AEW crowds are just amazing. They just make the show feel bigger and give a huge boost to the matches. We go to Johnny who says, What a show. Sting looked amazing, and what heat 2.0 when Daniel Garcia had. Makes me excited for Garcia versus Mox. Sammy Guevara is climbing up that ladder to start him, and I can't wait to see him solidify himself in the main event scene with the rest of the young stars. The tag match was incredible, and I can't wait to see the Bucks in a steel cage. And kudos to Houston for keeping in sync for Judas. A+. plus. How does All Out look to you so far? While I don't like them taking out Hangman vs. Omega from it, they have built a strong card that I don't mind anymore. I mean, we don't have the whole card, so it's kind of hard to uh, assess the actual card itself. But I think it's—I think it has every expectation to be their biggest pay-per-view ever. Well, at the moment, it's Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage, Pack versus El Idolo, and Paul White versus QT Marshall, and we have the Bucks versus a tag team eliminator winner, and also the Women's Casino Battle Royal. So I would say maybe a lot of main major elements are probably still missing from it. Um, you know, not the main event itself, I don't think is here yet. Um, I don't see Omega and Cage. Do you see Omega and Cage being a main event? Going on last? Yeah. Um, I personally don't think it's strong enough, but I mean, will they put it on last at the end? Possible. I, 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 let's just say I don't, I don't see it being the biggest draw on this show. 
Um, so I think that's still to come and could very likely be CM Punk versus Darby Allen. Um, you know, that, again, that alone, I think will be a huge, huge appeal, um, to make up for the rest of the show as a card all on its own at the moment, you know, without knowing what the Bucks tag team partners are going to be, it, it doesn't look amazing as yet. Um, but you know, it, it could be, it could look very different from between now and then. Are you next? Um, I think you are. That's what I thought. Brandon from New Jersey. Good evening, chaps. How goes it? Anywho, great first hour of Rampage. Then the second hour happened. From HFO nonsense to the Paul White QT Marshall feud nobody wanted. To Malarkey Black versus Braun Anderson. All in all, the first hour was some of the best in TV for the past few months. The best in television. I don't think he's qualifying by just pro wrestling. Though there wasn't one tonight, do you think it's kind of ridiculous with all the Guerrero tributes on AEW? Okay, that had nothing to do with tonight's show. That's what we're focusing the feedback on, Brandon. Are you impressed with the way Gable Stevenson is leveraging his position with all the major combat sports and pro wrestling entities? Um, I, I think he's being very smart the way he is uh, keeping his name out there. And he's going to be at SummerSlam on Saturday as well. So mm-hmm. we'll go for that. Was it just me, or does Alex Reynolds remind you of Jim Morrison from Wayne's World 2? Uh, can I admit I've never seen Wayne's World 1 or 2? Really? Wow. Yeah, so I can't answer that question. Um, he does I mean, I see the resemblance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does not remind me of him, though. Okay. Not in particular. Thank you, Brandon. Right. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, we got a Kate from Montreal who says, I had a few ideas of how the main event might turn out tonight, but none of them involved Jericho tapping out clean and leaving no path to a rematch. I'm curious to see where things go, not because I can't imagine them doing all out without Jericho, but because I can't imagine them doing it without MJF at this point. Maybe a rematch between him and Guevara? And speaking of changing expectations for all out, Moxley's promo and the fact that he's in the main event of Rampage this week makes me wonder if we're getting him versus Punk rather than Darby versus Punk. I actually like that idea more because it means Punk's win won't come at the expense of a rising star. Some really fun moments tonight, and I'm genuinely curious to see how things develop. Those seem like signs of a good show. Um, I actually, I think they can build to a bigger match with Punk and Moxley later on. Like that to me is one you shouldn't just throw out there on two weeks notice or however many weeks we are from all out now. That to me is one you could spend months and months on, you know? Um, I, I, I think that's a real big money match. And this is like Punk's return. This one doesn't need to be a money match, you know? It, even though Darby Allen versus Punk is. But Punk versus Moxley, I think, is the type of match that will attract a lot of Laps fans who, you know, might not have watched AEW yet to try to sample it. It is a dream match, whether in WWE or AEW, between Dean Ambrose and CM Punk, um, that, you know, might might get a lot of that outside interest. So I would actually save that for a bigger feud. What about you, John? I would go ahead and do it at the pay-per-view. You only have four pay-per-views a year, and I think you want to do as big a match as possible out of the gate. Uh, like, what are you expecting on Friday? Like, what do you think, like, how much do you put out there? Like, is he cutting a promo on Friday? Is he... Like, what, what do you think is going to be satisfying uh, for the viewer at home beyond just Punk walking out? I think he has to speak. I think he has to cut a pipe bomb. Well, I'm, I'm, maybe I shouldn't say pipe bomb. But he has to cut a substantial promo 
that's going to be his biggest audience uh, for a long, long time. Um, a lot of people showed up expecting him, and I think he has to deliver. Does he start the show? I don't know. I don't think he has to. Uh, we go on to the next one here, and we've got Muggin. Dynamite's atmosphere makes any match feel important. The opening tag, while brief, was loaded with action. Sting no-selling the table spot was viscerally delighting. Spears and Guevara was very good. Bucks and Jurassic Express was fun, but I'm getting irritated by the constant interference. Putting the next tag title match in a cage is a smart move to put a stop to it. MJF and Jericho had the right man go over, and the atmosphere was something else as the audience didn't miss a word singing Judas. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. That's it. That was Dynamite going into Friday night, which should be... What are you thinking, Way? It was 740,000 viewers for last week's Rampage. What is... Uh, does this top... I'm going to say 820. 820,000 viewers. I'm going to say yes. Okay. I think it's... Uh, I'm really curious to see like how much buzz... This feels like on Friday. I think it's going to be pretty sizable that I think that it's going to be a pretty big event. The question is how many people it, it reaches. It's a tougher night, but it's like you only get to do this return once. So it's. Uh, although some might say the uh, his return at WWE backstage was uh, the big return to pro wrestling. Mm. On a soundstage. All right. We're out of here. Way is back on Thursday with MCU later. So check that out if you are a Post Wrestling Cafe member. Friday night, we're live at 11.15 p.m. Eastern Time. I think we will be starting off with the Rampage review like last week. Uh, but we'll also get to SmackDown because they have they do have two hours to get set for SummerSlam on Saturday. So there you go. Thank you to everybody for listening and all of those joining us live. We are here live Monday, Wednesday, Friday night. And we'll be back in two nights time for Rewind to SmackDown.